0: Uh, we are starting today uh, a new series, and maybe he says, well, boy, it seems like uh, you started a new series in a new year, but this really kicks off. The new year, it kicks off the series. It's called A Certain Future, and we're looking forward to over the next four weeks as we look at some of the Old Testament prof- uh, prophets and what they have to say to us today about our future. And Pastor Eric is going to be sharing with us today, and he's going to be preaching from and we will be reading from Jeremiah, the prophet Jeremiah chapter 29. Jeremiah chapter 29, there are Bibles there in the pews. If you don't have one, you can feel free to take one with you. And I will be reading it from the scriptures, and it'll also be on the screen for you here. Jeremiah chapter 29 starts like this. This is the text of the letter that the prophet Jeremiah sent from Jerusalem To the surviving elders among the exiles and to the priests, the prophets, and all the other people Nebuchadnezzar had carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. This was after King Jehoiachin and the Queen Mother, the court officials, and the leaders of Judah in Jerusalem, the skilled workers, and all the artisans had gone into exile from Jerusalem." He entrusted the letter to Elasa, son of Saphon, and to Jeremiah, the son of Hilkiah, whom Sedekiah, king of Judah, sent to King Nebuchadnezzar in Babylon. That letter said this. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses... Because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Yes, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says. Do not let the prophets and diviners among you deceive you. Do not listen to the dreams you encourage them to have. They are prophesying lies to you in my name. I have not sent them, declares the Lord. This is what the Lord says. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back from captivity. I will gather you from among the nations and places where I have banished you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back to the place from which I carried you into exile.
1: Thank you, Pastor Steve. When I saw him this morning... He said, I'm just reading that verse 11, right? I said, no, I'm gonna make you read all those really difficult names uh, just because I wanna do that to you. So happy new year to all of you. And I'm just gonna flat out ask, are you a resolutions person? I mean, raise your hand if you like to, to make a resolution. Some of you maybe not so much. Some of you are like, this is a thing. Uh, I got together with my parents to my family for Christmas this week, and I asked my younger brother, I said, hey, got any resolutions? And my brother, he's like the real sarcastic one in the family, and he gets me every time, he got this serious look, he said, you know, I have. So I kinda leaned forward, I said, well, what is it? And he said, I made a resolution not to make resolutions I don't intend to keep. (laughs) I said, thanks, it's such a brother, younger brother thing To do, But that's how we respond sometimes to New Year's resolutions. You know, we're not going to follow through anyways, so why bother? A couple of years ago, I actually preached a series of sermons, and we called it Why Bother? Because that's how people respond. You know, they have sort of mark out, oh, I'm going to set these goals, and then it doesn't happen. Well, I'm not going to fulfill it anyways. Why bother? In fact, we had a a, a live visual. We had a treadmill with clothes hanging all over it (laughs) as our visual... Because that just seems, seems to happen. Resolutions are tough because of the future. The future is a difficult thing. It's, it's an unknown entity. And we struggle with that. We have our different responses to it. There are different people with, with different reactions. Some, some of you are more throw caution to the wind. And oh, we'll see how it turns out and see how it goes. We affectionately call these folks hipsters. Only a few of you laughed at that one. I'm sorry to my hipster friends. I'm just kidding, but not really. Some of you are throw caution to the wind, uh, sort of see how it goes type of people. And some of you are list makers and you wake up every day. A day is something to be conquered. And you make a list and you have lists for your lists. And here's what I've known about list makers, and I know this because I'm married to one, that you might as well write your list on your forehead with permanent marker because that list is your list for that day. And there is no rolling over into the next day. Your day is not completed until you have finished that list. Now, I'm a rollover type of guy. You know, I get to the end of the day. I say, good job. And uh, if I didn't accomplish a few things, oh, you know, we'll just move it on. to And there's consequences to that, trust me. Uh, But some of you are like, I'm, I'm going to conquer, I'm going to win this day, I'm going to make lists, and I'm going to prepare, and I'm, I'm going to plan. So we have these different reactions and responses to this unknown future. And so we're looking out into 2018, and many of you have your different responses, different reactions to that. And I just want to ask one question, and I want this question to hang over us, and really I want us to wrestle with this over the next four weeks. And the question is, where is God in all of it? We have our responses, but What does God have to do with our future? Where is God in our future? And some of you might be kind of wrestling with that in terms of your own faith and what you believe about God and and God's nature and character. And some of you uh, recognize that God is almighty and all-powerful and all-knowing and God has a future. And you might even believe that God has a plan for your life. You just want to know what it is. And you wish it was more clear and you wish you could figure it out more, and it sometimes seems as we're going through life that you just hear crickets, and you don't know exactly which way to go, or what place to move to, or what direction that you should go. So I recognize in entering all of this that we might be treading on frustrating ground for you. Some of us maybe have been wrestling with something about our future for for a while now, and we're just waiting and waiting for more answers. In college, I was friends with a guy who constantly was agonized over what he needed to do next, what God was calling him to do next in his life. He was desperate for a sign. He had some sort of dream or some sort of notion that he was supposed to move to California. And I said, yeah, right, I'm, God's calling me to Hawaii, so what, what of it? So he was desperate for a sign, and, and one day he'd come and he said, Eric, I, there was a car driving by on my way to class and it had a license plate that said California on it. I think I'm supposed to go to California. I said, okay, I you know, wonder what called this Californian to come to Ohio. But he was so desperate, he just needed that voice and that, that, that reassurance and that, that guidance to say, I want you to go here, or I need you to do this. I need you to say this, whatever it might be. So we're going to go through this. And in, in, in this series, it's called A Certain Future, because we believe, I believe, that God does have a plan, that God does know what's going to happen, that God has a plan for, for our lives. And it's certain in, in, in the way that there is a certain or particular pathway or direction for our lives but that it's also, because it's from God, that it's certain that, that God's going to see God's plans through. And so we're going to look at that and kind of wrestle with that and see what that means. And we're going to do so by looking at the Old Testament, some of the Old Testament prophets. And we're going to tackle a prophet, um, not really tackle a prophet, that sounds really weird. But we're going to wrestle with the prophets' messages in different books of the Bible. And uh, so today I want to call in it A Certain Plan. And I'm starting with the scripture in Jeremiah that I know, I, you, and I want you to fess up. I know some of you have this scripture knitted on a piece of fabric and framed and put on your bathroom wall. Or maybe you have this scripture uh, on a bumper sticker somewhere. For I know the plans that I have for you, says, it just makes you feel so good. I know the plans that I have for you, says the Lord. A plans to prosper you and not to harm you. A plans of hope for the future. And you say, yeah, that's what I want to hear. Well, we're going to peel that bumper sticker off a little bit. And we're going to dig a little bit deeper with this scripture. Because I guarantee you, the people that heard that word of the Lord at that place and that time, those people were not hanging that scripture on their bathroom wall. It was not what they wanted to hear. Uh, on Christmas Day, my family and I went to a Chinese restaurant for dinner. And it was pretty crowded. And it was a little hectic. Um, and, you know, it was a little bit of a, a difficult experience because, you know, the kids were getting a little antsy and, and all of that. But the food was really good and really delicious. And what, what makes it all worth it I know you guys think this might be crazy, but um, I really enjoy, for some reason it's a fun thing for me, to get that fortune cookie at the end of the meal. It's just like, if I never get the fortune cookie, I'm never going back there again, because that's just a part of the experience. You know, crack open that little cookie into its 17 pieces, and you, you know, you get your, your little message, and you read it out loud, and it's nice and all that. I bring all that up to say that I think some of us kind of approach the idea of prophecy in, in that way, like, like a fortune cookie. That a prophet's job is to, or prophecy is, is meant to inspire us, to lift us up and to, to give us this encouragement. And it, and it is, don't, don't, don't mistake me. It is to, to lift us up and, 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 to, and to guide us in that way. But it's much, much deeper than that. A prophet's job was primarily to be a mouthpiece for God. And so when a prophet got up and spoke to the people, and they would use certain language, code language, they would say, thus saith the Lord. And the people got, up. Oh, okay, here comes a word from God. It was as if God was speaking there himself. That's how serious it was. And this was a vocation. People had this as an actual job in ancient Israelite society. And so they'd come and they'd have a message that was just from the Lord. And their primary goal, the prophet's goal in delivering messages, was to enforce or to see through the covenant that the people had with God. That's the primary lens through which they were looking at all of this. And much of their messages came in, the, in a moment of, of crisis. When they're asking these questions, where are you, God? Like, what, what does the future hold for us? And there were some significant crises happening in the world in that day. There was a superpower that ro- rose up by the name of Assyria. They were ruthless people. And they came and they began to sweep to the west. They were located in the, the northeast. They were coming to sweep in, into the west and take over the land of Israel because that was, uh, that was uh, prime territory. That area was the cross section between uh, three different continents. And so all the trade and all the travel would, would go through there. And so whatever emperor was in control of the, the, the economy of that area... Well, they, they were going to get a pretty penny out of this. And so anytime there was a superpower that would rise up, they would have their eye on that piece of land. And so Assyria came in, and this is where we read mostly in the book of Isaiah and other, um, other prophets as well. There's this crisis. There's this looming superpower coming to take over. So they go through all of that. And in the middle of the crisis, the prophets are speaking. They're wondering, God, where are you? What, what's going on in the midst of this? And finally, even sort of rapidly, Assyria begins to decline, and there's this period of sort of peace and, and waiting to kind of kind of restore things, and the people of God sort of get duped into thinking that, like, this is the end, this is, this is it. Instead, what was happening is that as Assyria was declining, there were two other superpowers that were rising up around them. One to the southwest, which was Egypt, and one to uh, the southeast, which was Babylon. And so you have these two superpowers jockeying for power, and guess what the battleground was? (laughs) It was that land. They were fighting over that piece of prosperous territory. Babylon ends up coming out ahead on on that ordeal, um, and through some sort of bad relationships and all of that, Babylon ends up attacking the Northern Territory, which was where the majority of God's people lived and carried the majority of God's people away from their homes with them into Babylon, into exile. And so they asked this question, where are you, God? Where, what, what is happening right now? And what is our future look like? How do we reconcile these different things? And so they began to ask these questions, and they, they did so with a specific framework of belief. They had this sort of exceptional idea of, of, of being God's people, that the land, the territory of, of Israel and Judah, that was God's land, and the city of Jerusalem, that's a holy city. You know why? Because that's God's city. And we who are living in the land and the city, we are God's people. And that place where we go to worship, the temple, well, that's God's house. That's where God lives. And the promise that God gave to our king, King David, that there would be a lineage of kings after him and that would last for eternity. Well, That's the promise that we have as God's people. And so as they are being carried away into a foreign land, into Babylon, they still have this framework. And out of that, there were other prophets. Jeremiah wasn't the only prophet. There were other prophets. Remember, this is their job. Under that framework of belief, begin to speak. And they use all the language. Thus saith the Lord. And they get their hopes up that God is going to deliver them back into their homes, bring them back into their homeland right away. That this was just sort of a speed bump. This is sort of just a, a distraction. And that God's just gonna bring them, bring them right back. Well, then Jeremiah comes to the scene. You should know that scholars have coined Jeremiah as the, the prophet of doom. <laughs> what Jeremiah has to say to the people is not exactly what they wanted to hear. That instead of God bringing them back into their homeland, he said, no, I want you to take up residence. Here's what he says in in verse, uh, in verse five. He says, build houses and live in them Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease. I want you to live there. And after that says, I want you to seek the welfare of the the city that you've just been carried into. And in their welfare will also be your welfare. And suddenly this message of Jeremiah is Blowing out the box of what they understood about who God was and who uh, they were. We, in the midst of our unknown future, we cannot help but to have expectations, right? If you're the list maker, you really have expectations because you're working for certain outcomes. That's why you make a list, because you want to accomplish something. You want a certain outcome, and you work for it, and you believe that if you work for it, then that will come to pass. Even if you're a throw caution to the wind hipster, you still have a set of expectations. We all have expectations of what will come, and those of us that live in a privileged society, more often than not, find our expectations become reality. And that's a problem. I know it doesn't seem like a problem, but it's a problem for a couple of reasons. First, if you get enough people packed into the same place that have expectations and those expectations don't align with one another, you're going to get some butting of the heads. Did you try to shop during the holiday season? You know what I'm talking about or park at Walmart during the holiday season. But we also know that not everything happens the way we intend it to, right? I mean, people, things just don't line up the way that we are expecting, and that's what gets so difficult for us. And it it doesn't matter if you're facing really tragedy-level issues, even some of the small stuff. You ever heard of the first world problems, right? Here there are people, uh, maybe in different countries, but even here uh, in our backyards uh, dealing with with homelessness and and hunger and, and poverty, and we're so frustrated that our iPhone update messed things up for us. We can't help it because we are expecting one thing to happen and it didn't happen the way that we were hoping to. Like those of you parents that, um, you know, you get a child's toy for Christmas and it says light assembly and you think it's just gonna take a few minutes to put it together and it doesn't you get really frustrated because it didn't go the way that you were expecting it to go and that's what we struggle with. There's been research actually, in 2014 there was an article that came out uh, claiming research that there's a connection between our level of expectations and our happiness factor. Uh, Rob Rutledge is a psychologist and author. He said, happiness depends not on how well things are going, but whether things are going better or worse than expected. Now, I read this in an article, and the solution in the article said that we need to lower our expectations. <laughs> yeah, just, just lower the bar. You know, don't expect too much out of life. Don't expect too much out of God. Just lower the bar and everything will be great. But that's not what's happening in this scripture. It wasn't a matter of high or low expectations. It wasn't a matter of them having too low of expectations of God or too high of expectations of God. In fact, I think that they had correct expectations of God. God could do anything in their midst. God could have delivered them right immediately with the snap of his fingers. It could have happened right then and there immediately. That wasn't the problem. The matter at hand was that there was a difference between God's expectations and their own. And they were operating through the lens of their own expectations and expecting God to simply follow suit. We need to have enough humility to recognize that our perceived outcomes may not be the same as God's. And that's a difficult thing to wrestle with. Regardless, it's out of this context that we have our famous bathroom wall scripture in Jeremiah 29, 11. For I know the plans I have for you. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. I believe that God has a plan for your life. I believe that God has a certain future for you. I mean, it's littered throughout the the scriptures. In Psalm uh, fifty-seven two, it says, "I cry to God most high, to God who fulfills His purpose for me." And Isaiah talks about this again. It's Isaiah forty-six nine and ten. It says. Remember the former things of old for I am God and there's no other I am God and there's no one like me declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things not yet done saying my purpose shall stand and I will fulfill my intention In Romans chapter 8 verse 28 it says we know all that all things work together for good for those who love God who are called according to his purpose. God has intentions. God has a purpose. God has a certain future for you. And in case you were wondering, I also believe that that is a good plan because it comes from a good God. An an old English theologian, William Law, um, he says this, Whether we consider the infinite goodness of God that cannot choose amiss for us or our own great ignorance of what is most advantageous to us, there can be nothing so reasonable and pious as to have no will but God's and to desire nothing for ourselves and our persons, our state and condition, but what the good providence of God appoints for us. God has a plan. It is a good plan. And it centers primarily on one thing. You might be saying, well, okay, pastor, that's really great. You just said that God has a plan. I believe that. But when, when do we get to the part when God tells me who I'm going to marry? Or when do we get to the part where God tells me whether or not I should take this new job opportunity? When, when do we get to that part? Because that, that's kind of what I'm, I'm holding out for. And listen, I have wrestled with this time and time again. The will of God has been a frustrating topic of conversation and discovery for me as a person of faith. It is a difficult, difficult thing, but here's what I've learned over the years. Here's what I've learned over the years. That there are specific things to which God calls us, no question. Specific things to say in certain conversations, specific uh, places to go, specific relationships to have. And God calls us to that And my prayer is that I can continue to grow so that I can hear better and take advantage of those opportunities that God is presenting to me. No question, there are specifics in that. But each day, we are called to God's will primarily and first and foremost to that simple invitation that Jesus makes to his disciples where he just says, come and follow me. Come. Follow me. I wrestled with that call enough on a daily basis. That that ought to occupy my my thinking and, and my Uh, my sense of faith and discovery that should occupy all of that enough on a day. That's enough trouble of its own to figure out what that means when Jesus says, come and follow me. It's like two different experiences that I have when I'm visiting someone in the hospital. And those of you, you work in hospitals, you know this, right? Over the years, a hospital rarely has built new facilities more often than not, they just keep building additions, and what that me- means is that their buildings become very difficult to navigate, and they tell you, oh, you just go to this room. Oh, really? Yeah, it's not that easy. In fact, um, a couple of weeks ago, I went up to a certain floor. I got the wrong, right floor, but the wrong wing, and so instead of just walking down to the right, I had to go down and then back, back up. It was, it was crazy, so I have two different experiences when I'm visiting someone. I go to the desks and sometimes people say, oh yeah, well, you just make a left uh, at the end of the hall and then make another right and then make another left and when you reach the second elevator doors, that's your marker to make another right and to go further down the hall and make another left and I'm sitting there, uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh and I have no idea and I just resign myself to say, okay, I'm just gonna ask someone you know, further down and I always end up lost. But, There's another experience that I have, and this is what I enjoy. I go to the desk and I say, hey, I'm trying to reach this room. And they say, oh, well, it's room such and such. And they try to go through the directions and they can see like the deer in the headlights look on my face. And they say, you know what? Here, let me show you. Let me show you. God's will is about following Jesus first and foremost and primarily. It is Jesus saying, come, come, Follow me. Come along with me. Come to the places where I am going. Say the things that I have been saying. Believe in the things that I have been preaching. Come, come and and follow me. I don't know what God's will for your life in this 2018 is, but I know Jesus is calling you to follow him. And that is, is a lot of work. There is a lot to that. Is there not? And the reason is because God's heart and design, above all us, above the particulars and specifics, is that is that communion, is that we would be. Together. Did you catch in in verses 12 and 13 after saying you're going to wait 70 years and you're going to take up residence in all of it? It says, Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will hear you. When you search for me, you will find me. If you seek me with all your heart. It's about that togetherness, it's about being together that makes all the difference. And that's what God's heart is about. There's a preacher by the name of Barbara Brown Taylor, and she has this book called The Preaching Life, and she shares her call to ministry in this book, and she was in agony just trying to figure out, God, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to do? What do you want me to do? And finally, she heard God's voice, and the voice was not what she expected. It was, do whatever you want. Just stay close to me. Just stay close to me. Now I'll tell you that when I read that, I was mad. I did not like to hear that because I just didn't like the idea of like, do whatever you want. But when I began to really think through that just stay close to me or that call where Jesus said, come and follow me, I realized that there was more to it. And the more that i Reflected on that, I became more and more afraid. Because to follow Jesus meant that I needed to go and show love and compassion and mercy to those people. And that I needed to go and have dinner with those people in those places in the same way that Jesus did. And I needed to say these certain things to these certain people because that's what Jesus did. You see, following Jesus and doing what Jesus did and leading the life that Jesus led, becoming Christ-centered, that is a scary thing. And I think that's why we're tempted to see how God can bend his will into our own expectations, and that was the struggle of God's people in the scriptures. And you find littered throughout the entire Bible that happens time and time again. People are trying to bargain with God and manipulate God to bend his will into our own. And it doesn't work too well for, for God's people. We're tempted to do that because our will is most certainly the, the road of ease and comfort and stability and safety. And sometimes that's not Jesus' road. And that's not Jesus's pathway for us. And it's scary. It's scary. If you're kind of wondering about that, Pay attention to what you pray about. Pay attention to your prayers. I wonder, and trust me, I fall into this all the time. I wonder if the majority of your prayer time is made up of you making requests to God like you're sitting on Santa's lap. <laughs> oh yeah, and I want this, and I want this, and I want this, and, and I want this. If, is, is that what our prayer life is? looks like. The, the act of asking things of God, uh, there's a word for it, it's called petition. It's a type of, type of prayer. Uh, author Brian McLaren, he says this about uh, petition. He says, immature petition tries to convince God to remake the world in our image for our convenience and ease. But mature petition asks God to remake us in God's own image so that we can expand our capacity to respond to the world as it is. If we live into our own expectations, our scope and our capacity will be limited. But if we stay open to what God's lens and God's vision and God's future might be for us, our, we are suddenly expanded into a new capacity that we didn't even know was there. And yes, it is a scary, unknown place. When we finished up our meal at the Chinese restaurant, I told you, it was crowded. I mean, it was insane. I've never seen anything like it. Some of you know what I'm talking about. And even leaving the restaurant was an ordeal because there was, I mean, people sitting in the lobby area waiting for their meal or waiting to be seated, and they're all grumpy because they've been waiting a long time and they're hungry for General Sos. <laughs> and so we were trying to leave and I recognized that this is kind of a dangerous scene, potentially. You know, it's a lot of, with my, with my son, who's six years old. And so I said, just out of instinct, I went in front of him and I grabbed his hand and I said, stay close, stay close. This is your future. This is your future. That no matter how difficult or trying or dangerous, Jesus is in front grabbing you by the hand saying, stay close, stay close, we'll get through it. We'll get through it. The night before Jesus died on the cross, he asked God if there could be a different way. He said, would this cup please pass from me? He saw his future. He saw the pain and the anguish and the the torture that he would have to endure. And it says that he was so anxious about it that he was sweating drops of blood. And he just said, God, is there a different way? Do I really have to? Go through this. But he ended that prayer with a specific line, and if you take away anything, I want this to hang with you. I just want you to put this in your pocket and take it home with you. He said, but not my will, yours. Not my will, but yours be done. Not my will, but yours be done. Can that be our prayer as we start our 2018 not knowing, not knowing where to go, what dangers we might face, you know, singing celebrations on the mountaintop, going through a deep valley. If we could just say, not my will, but yours be done. If that's your prayer and that you mean it, I think you'll be all right. You may go through some stuff, but you'll have that communion with God, and to me, that makes all the difference. It makes all the difference. Let's pray together. God, your people were going through extreme, difficult circumstances your prophet Jeremiah spoke to these people your words and it wasn't what they wanted to hear and yet the words that Jeremiah spoke never compromised who you are your love and your compassion for your people your ultimate intention and will for them and so we've received that word for our lives here in this place ending 2017 looking out into 2018 that there might be some things that will happen things may go the way a way that we weren't expecting but you will still be true you will be God your love and your mercy and for your forgiveness and your invitation to abide and, and, and abide in your presence will always remain. And while we're on a journey and traveling here and there, as a person of faith, we are getting somewhere. So Lord, not our will, but yours be done. Not our will, but yours be done. Not our will, but yours be done that we can align with you in all things. This is our prayer. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand with me for a second? So I'm excited to hear maybe not so excited, but I'm excited to hear what might take place for you and in your life. Uh, With at each step um, as you go forward, may you be blessed by the presence of God as you sense and come to know and, 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 and stand in a posture in a place of assurance that it is Jesus who is holding you by the hand saying, come on, we will get through this. May God's presence be with you in all places and at all times. And I pray this in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Happy New Year. You can go in peace.